gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. This is episode 299. Glad you're with us. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the podcast so far in August. We started off with the DC animated movie, uh, Green Lantern, Beware My Power, and the co-writer, Ernie Altbacker. Uh, also, we did that uh, episode on everything that's going on with uh, DC falling apart and Marvel announcing phase four, five, and six. That was a lot of fun uh, as well. And then last week, uh, talk about staying outside your lane. Uh, Andy Staples, the esteemed college football writer uh, who actually reviewed the boys. Uh, so a great podcast to catch up on. Uh, if you're listening to this one because it's the newest, well, don't go anywhere because this is a great one as well. Uh, we are talking about the Umbrella Academy. Now, this is the second episode in which we have done something on the Umbrella Academy. Uh, episode 195 was our season two review. And to do that, we actually had the person who plays the mom <laughs> on on the uh, on the show. Uh, Jordan Claire Robbins was with us uh, to go through season two of Umbrella Academy. I look back. We never did season one of Umbrella Academy. I'm not sure why. Um, I, I don't know. I guess maybe I didn't love season one enough. I, I don't understand. But uh, today we are talking about season three, which has been out for a couple of weeks. So warning, this is a, a spoiler filled episode. Now, joining us uh, to, to discuss the Umbrella Academy is a guy who I've been jonesing to get back on the podcast. Uh, he was amazing in his uh, his review of Ms. Marvel. Back uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, back in uh, in July, uh, that was episode 294 when we talked about Ms. Marvel. Swara Saleh is a, a writer for io9. He also has his own podcast, which he's going to tell me about. He has a Spider-Man one and another one. And uh, last time he came on the show, he did a remarkable job, and I, I coerced him. I, I, I twisted his arm to come back on the show. Thank you so much for doing so, doing exactly that. Welcome back, man. Seth, thank you so much for having me again. And it really wasn't, it, he didn't have to coerce me that much. I kind of enjoyed my time last time. I think it may be yeah, we, good this time as well. No, no, I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me back on to discuss one of my favorite shows, Umbrella Academy. So good. Um, but we'll like, dive in. It's one of your favorite shows. Like, compare it, like, what do you compare it to? You know, I compare it as a comic book slash superhero adaptation. And what I'm really looking for in superhero properties, which so are is like it, my Is it favorite. better than The Boys? Is it better than Peacemaker? Is it better than 
just give me some context. I'd, I'd give it, I'd say it's in like maybe my top. Yeah, it is in my tops. And I actually did a list for, uh, but why though podcast.com on, you know, which is one of the sites I would regularly write for. Uh, uh-huh. I have some great colleagues there. Please check them out. I did a top 10 list of top uh, comic book uh, live action adaptations. And in that I did have the boys and uh, several others. This, I made this list, I think before Peacemaker. Peacemaker probably okay. would have been in there as would the Sandman, which I absolutely love watching on Netflix. But yeah, I have the Umbrella Academy in there. And I think it's uh, it made it into like the top half of uh, my comic book adaptations so that I love. And it's just a remarkable series. I love this cast. I love the writing, the direction. It's obviously, it's not perfect. There are definitely nitpicks we'll get into on season three, but I think overall, it's just a wonderful, dramatic joy of a show. It's it's definitely, it, it creates a great universe. Um, Absolutely. The universe is very dysfunctional. Um, and it's a lot about the characterization, I think more than the plots. I know the plots are all the end of the world, and they deal with apocalypse, I think, maybe six times in three seasons. So, yeah, I, I exactly. mean, it's always, it's always <laughs> the end of the world. I I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But I never felt um, that kind of dread. I thought, moreover, it's how do these characters interact with each other and what kind of progression and development do they go through? That is where I I, I took it. You know, it's based on uh, the comic book that was uh, created uh, by Gerard Way, uh, for Dark Horse. And, you know, I make this analogy, you know, the boys last week, we did the boys. And to me, the boys is the creators of the boys said, well, we we want to do a show that's dark and gritty and daring. And DC wouldn't let us do that with the Justice League. So we're going to create our own Justice League. And Homelander is their Superman. And the deep is their Aquaman. Right. Right. You see the analogy. Um, and when I watch the boys, I say, boy, that's like, I feel like I'm watching a dark Justice League show. That's what I feel like. In the Umbrella Academy, I make the exact same parallel to the X-Men. To me, yeah, this sure. is Gerard Way says, I could never do this with the X-Men. I couldn't make Charles Xavier this dysfunctional, so I'm going to create Randall Hargraves. You know what I'm saying? And then he's going to be as dysfunctional as can be and just go down the line. And I, you know, I'm not saying that I, you know, I'm not making the analogy that, that, that there's a storm and a Cyclops and a Wolverine, but it's why are they have all these powers? No stinking reason. So they're mutants. Yeah. It's the same concept. And I loved the idea. Like once you decide I'm going to create my own superhero team, Let's just go crazy. And that's when they had all the the pregnant ladies that didn't, you know, gave birth without being pregnant and all everything that happened that happened. Do you see the X-Men in the Umbrella Cat? Oh, absolutely. For sure. I see them. Uh, Hargreaves, he is terrible, an absolutely awful version of Professor X. But one could argue Professor Xavier in and of himself has done some pretty terrible things. I want to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Stephanie Williams, who is an amazing comic book writer. She's writing Nubia in the Amazons for DC. She's a mate has, does amazing writing and has amazing analysis. She always calls out how awful Charles Xavier is because of, you know, he's essentially incubating like this child 
or like mutant army of his. He thinks that he's so great. He's going to save the world, but he constantly makes mistakes with them. And that's always often brushed under the rug with Marvel because they want um, Professor X to be seen as this great figure who's uh, genuinely a pacifist, who's out to save the world. Um, but with in the Umbrella Academy, you see that hypocrisy completely stripped out. And it's exposed, you just, right. It's absolutely exposed. And constantly from the beginning and consistently from the beginning of the series you see that um victor hargreaves or sorry not victor ah i'm mixing up reginald. my names or yep. reginald hargreaves yes reginald hargreaves is absolutely terrible he's just he has this i know this god complex and he's i'm reading uh the uh, summation that he's an eccentric billionaire olympic gold medalist nobel prize winner he but nothing is enough for him and so once he knows of these super powered beings he takes them as their infants he pays off their mothers it is horrific stuff that he does but it's so casual to him and he sees his children that he's adopted as experiments he gives them he only calls them by their numbered names like right, number one number numbers, two number right. three yeah and it's just, I like. I, it's kind I just of like, intoxicating. I, I understand. It's absolutely intoxicating. What the yeah. Is. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I appreciate just how much, like, you know, it's obviously a very exaggerated version, but you see this sort of in the real world with parents who push their children to go to such lengths. And this is kind of a tangent, but I actually just finished. Um, you may have seen this in the news. Uh, child star Jeanette McCurdy, her memoir, <coughs> excuse me, her memoir that came out titled, I'm Glad My Mom Died, which is about her abusive mother and how she had to go through so much shit as a child. And Hargreaves essentially does the same thing to his, a lot of the same stuff to his children. You know, this is a real thing. And the way that the Umbrella Academy is able to convey this and show it in a way that you have deep sympathy for these characters, you get to laugh with them, you get to, you know, have a full extent of their humanity, but understand that these were children who were psychologically abused growing up and they're a very dysfunctional family. And the series is about them addressing and untangling that in some really, really great ways. And I think it's an overall fantastic show. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good show. I I I I wouldn't I probably wouldn't have done the episodes. Um, the, the last time we did it, I remember, um, I remember we had this opportunity to have Jordan Claire Robbins on, and it was in two days, and I had to watch season two in like a day and a half, and I remember that being exhausting. <laughs> just I I just kind of you know re remember that. Um, you know, the, the, the weird part about uh, this, I had much more time. You know, I knew we weren't going to get to it because we had all these other things going on with the podcast. Um, so why don't I, I, I just get to the, the, the big elephant in the room? Um, this is going to be a very unpopular opinion. And I want to make sure I say it clearly because I thought about how I said this. I have all the respect in the world for Elliot Page. Uh, Elliot Page made this uh, decision uh, to to change uh, his entire world uh, and become a man. You know, that that is Elliot Page's decision. And I respect the heck out of Elliot Page. And I look forward to seeing him cast as a male in future roles. I didn't like 
that Vanya goes through the same transformation. I thought it was forced. I thought it made it was not incorporated into any aspect of the plot. And in the first episode and a half, Elliot Page plays Vanya with long hair. And I don't know if that's a wig. I, I don't care. Again, this is nothing to say about his life personally, his exact personal life. But I don't talk about actors' personal lives on the show. I don't care that Tom Cruise is a Scientologist. It doesn't matter to me. I talk about the shows. And I don't think from the comic book to the show, Vanya should have transitioned the way Ellen Page did to become Elliot Page. They made a conscious decision in season three uh, to accommodate uh, the, the actor, Elliot Page, and the character goes through what feels like to me a shoe, you know, a, a shoehorned in plot twist. And if you're going to celebrate the transition because you want to target that demographic, then you didn't serve its purpose. And if you compromised your writing just to accommodate an actor, I also think that's strange. And I understand, I, I am all for any person listening to this podcast that wants to transition, that, that does that willingly. You can, do, you can be a man, you can be a woman, you can be non-binary. That's all well and good. I, here's an example. I love the way Billions has incorporated the character of Taylor Mason. I think that that character is well represented. And they touch on much deeper aspects of that character's sexuality. In Umbrella Academy, there is no part of Victor's journey that couldn't have been completed by Vanya. So all it was was like in Microsoft Word, they did find replace and replace the word Vanya with Victor. I, I want the art to be what it was based on. You know, I just thought it was underserved in all aspects. If it was if there was a point in the story that that plays a role, then go for it. But you didn't. What you did was you added something. And on Netflix, there's no time limits. It's not like it has to be 41 minutes. So you threw in a scene. You threw in a scene here. You threw in a scene there. And it was almost like when Luther and I want to say Klaus, I don't I don't say exactly, they, they find out. And they're just like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's it? I, I don't know if it, if, if if it was in the plan, make it part of the plan. It wasn't. So Seth, I understand what you're saying of wanting to have more time with this storyline and the transition for her. And obviously I do not speak for any trans or non-binary person, but this is what I understand, you know, in general, the thing is about transition generally, it can be that casual. Honestly, it can just be, I actually really love the way it was portrayed in the show because it was Victor realizing, oh, this is who I am. After he had been through all this trauma with his family. And as we also saw in 
last season. And he even says this in his relationship with this woman that he realizes, oh, I am actually a man, that this gender identity actually that I've been given at birth of being a woman that does not apply to me. And it honestly is that very, it can be very much that casual for trans and non-binary people. It can be just one day after living through their life, them realizing, oh, this isn't what I feel comfortable as, comfortable in my own body as. And I personally really love the way they portrayed it with Elliot Page and his transition, sorry, with Victor's transition of realizing, hey, this is how I want to style my hair, like in a more traditionally masculine way. This is what I feel more comfortable in. And what I also really loved with the family, you know, fully em embracing and loving and accepting him and without any question, it's just, you know, here's the thing. This is a family that goes through the end of like every season or every other month has travel has an apocalypse or they'll travel back in time or one will find out he has a son he never knew about. Right. Apparently. All these random life-changing things happen to him and we're not yeah. supposed to judge any of them. Exactly. And the thing is like, so just their sibling happening to be a trans man. Okay, sure. Great. Whatever. It's just a casual thing. And I love that. I think that is radical acceptance. I think that's so great and meaningful for the trans and non-binary community. I think that can be, and it was really heralded as such, you know, we hear so much from the community about how much they really loved the way it was portrayed. Could they have spent more time on it? Maybe a full episode to fully give us that range of what Victor goes through? Sure, absolutely. Um, but I honestly- but they didn't want to really do satisfied. that. They didn't want to do that because Maybe they, they had have, a map. Yeah. They had a plan. It's like, it's like the writers had a plan. And then if I, see, I don't know. This is what I don't like about speculation. What mm -hmm. I don't know is that Elliot Page went to them and said, the only way I'm doing season three is if I, I, my character- I actually, I actually don't think that he did. I really think that I don't think the so writers either. made a constant con a conscious decision to be like, we want to honor you, Elliot. We love you and we love you being part of our show and let's do this for you. And maybe they could have done more. Maybe they should have. But, you know, it's also like ultimately not for either of us to decide. We're both cis men, you know, observing it from essentially an outsider perspective. But it is a good conversation. It is good to open that conversation and hopefully with listeners broaden that perspective. And yeah, I personally really loved it. Um, you know, if there are any trans listeners out there, please chime in and let us know what you thought about it. It's one of those situations where I want to get to the bottom of it. Here, here's the analogy, the analogy that I can make. Um, I want to ask the question, when did Marvel know Chadwick Boseman had cancer. Mm -hmm. And based on the answer to that question, you will see that Black Panther 2 is either chapter two of the Black Panther saga or uh, mm -hmm. a make good because Chadwick Boseman died. Right? Like, yeah. I That's what I want to know. I want to know, was that the original movie? Um, Black Widow. They realized that they didn't, when Black Widow was alive, they didn't have a Black Widow movie, so they do a, a a make good. It's 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 like an apology movie, right? What I'm saying is, stick to your plan, and don't let the actor's personal life impact your writing, because you're writing the character, 
And in the comic book, the character is known as the white violin. That's that. That's the whole story. The story is the character uh, is number seven, umbrella number seven, plays the violin and learns that she has these incredible powers, incredible powers that are, uh, you know, hard to process. And you tossed all of that. You tossed. I mean, it, it is an adaptation and they changed a lot in right. there. And, you know, but, but they had it in seasons one and two. That's my point. And again, oh, if so Umbrella Academy, aspect, yeah. if Umbrella Academy came out now, if season one was coming out now, and they decided to cast Elliot Page to play number seven, name him Victor. Maybe but they you, would. But you, if if you were doing it now, but they didn't. You know, there's a there's a conscious decision. I want to say in one of the DC pros, Joanna Constantine and the Sandman, yeah. Oh, in the Sandman. Yeah, in the Sandman. Yeah, because they don't have rights to John Constantine. Because they don't have, right. That makes sense. That's what I'm saying. If if they decided, if they if the creator said, we're creating this Umbrella Academy, we're going to take these seven characters, and we're starting out, and we have decided that we are hiring Elliot Page to play number seven, and at that point, he's Elliot Page, then fine. What they did was they said, Forget everything you know about that character in seasons one and two. We're going to just change. And but, you the know, writers, I, I, to me, were compromised. I per, I just, I completely disagree. I don't That's think fine. they were at all. I think they just wanted to honor Elliot's journey and uh, his transition with the change of the character. And I'm almost certain that the original creator of the comic would as well. They are a non-binary individual themselves go by he, they pronouns. And I think like, this is the great thing about adaptations. They can change in some really great progressive ways. And we don't have to always stick to whatever is in the text uh, strictly, whether that's in the comic or the actual adaptation, I think this is very, it's great and really important. I love that it worked out this way. I love that on a platform as large as Netflix on a show that's, you know, as wide reaching as the Umbrella Academy, we do have this prominent trans masculine individual who serves as such an amazing representation, especially for a community that is undergoing severe, still undergoing severe persecution. You look across the United States and around the world, really, and how often they're scapegoated. And, you know, art is and can be very political. And I think, I, I think it's great. I think I love the way they handled it. Maybe they should have had like more, like we discussed more time to delve into um, the transition journey, but I personally loved it for what it was. And I think, I can't wait to see more from Victor going forward. PristineAuction.com is the most trusted memorabilia auction site with an A-plus BBB rating. Auctions on PristineAuction.com start at just $1, and each day there are over 1,000 autographed items available. So you win signed, authentic signatures at affordable prices. There's comic books, trading cards, action figures, great items to add to your collections. Before the show, I was looking at some of the items that are available, including a signed poster by Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, David Prowse, and Peter Mayhew from the Star Wars trilogy. That's incredible. Uh, Rocky's boxing shorts from Rocky IV. 
There's a lot of comic book art, too. Todd McFarlane signed guitar. Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner signed a Star Trek issue. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Upgrade your collection of signed memorabilia today and get $10 off your first item when you use the code JUSTICE. Again, that's pristineauction.com. Use code JUSTICE and get $10 off your first item one. Season one was you just you're introduced to them and then there's this apocalypse, right? Mm -hmm. And in the course of fighting the impending apocalypse, they go back in time to the 1960s. Um, you know, JFK not assassinated and the whole the whole deal. Season three is now gets into alternate timelines and they return to 2019 and it's an alternate timeline and the Umbrella Academy doesn't exist but the Sparrow Academy does. I thought that was genius. I thought it was the Sparrow Academy or much more X-Men than the Umbrella Academy. And the changes in all of that, uh, especially the ones for Allison, um, were harsh. I mean, if it's an alternate timeline, her husband and child are gone. Yeah. Allison's journey through this season, just through the whole series, like, oof. Um, well, she has I a very bad moment at the end of season three. Oh, so. yes. She has a few bad moments in this season, uh, especially that one moment with Luther, which... Right, right. Yeah, trigger warning. It, yeah, it was like sexual assault. It was, it was yeah, totally. it was essentially a rape. Like, it's just, even though she didn't right, actually... She used her powers. It's, it's, it's like uh, power. Jessica Jones, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, like kill, yeah, kill Grave and Jessica Jones, and um, I, you know, thankfully she realized um, she had gone too far. It only went so far as a kiss, but still a forced kiss. It was just, it was, it was a very, I don't know. It, it's like my problem with like the way that um Allison was written in this season is that she had gone through genuinely really traumatic things not to mention she's the only black member of the family who had just come back from like the 1960s experiencing jim the jim crow south discrimination was active in a civil rights movement had lost her husband from that time as well and i don't i feel like this season should have delved more into the her traumas that she had like so they did a bit like at least with uh diego's character you know with them both talking about how they're people of color you know and the rest of their family who are white wouldn't experience what they've experienced but other than that like i feel like we brush over the surface a bit with her character in terms of garnering sympathy for her and almost like falling into making her a full-blown antagonist or villain which i thankfully they did not do but it seemed like they might were going that way it seems like they still might go that way potentially down the line for her which could be interesting in and of itself especially with the power she has i just wish there was some more subtlety with the way she was written this season well i mean you know, you know every character has their flaws that's a big flaw like totally I, I, big I, flaw, I thought she yeah. goes down a dark path and and plus she also conspires to kill everybody i mean with the with the alien dad she gets duped into to working with them it, it, because she thinks it has a chance to get back to her reality i mean she gets 
she almost gets a pass. And that, so I guess that's my my other question is, did season three not happen? Is it like a Bobby Ewing Dallas situation where he walks it up? It is so the- confusing. Did, did any of the Umbrella Academy happen to this right. point? At- <laughs> right. Did they lose their powers in the final battle or did they create a timeline where they didn't have powers? I think kind I think of the both. Latter. I think, the- but the, yeah, the latter. Yeah, I think. a timeline. Yeah, I mean, we'll see next season. Oh wow, season four has not been greenlit yet. Well, I guess Netflix sort of varies with how often they, um, with the uh, time range for when they renew shows. But yeah, it is a very interesting reality they're now at the end of now. As far as the cast is concerned, they're all brilliant. Uh, I thought Tom Hopper had a great season as Luther. I thought Aiden Gallagher was uh, fantastic. Uh, He and I just missed each other. There was a chance he was coming on the podcast. Uh, We were at a Formula E race, um, and he was there like two hours before I was, and I missed him, and he missed me, and we were trying to do uh, an episode. But uh, Aiden Gallagher is a very environmentally uh, strong. See, I (laughs) again, just to go back to our earlier conversation, I love what these guys represent in their personal lives. That's not the characters they play. It's very, very different. But Aiden Gallagher, who plays a guy who's locked in an 18-year-old's body, but he's like 40-something. I I thought he was great. Um, Just the entire cast. I thought everybody was great. Yeah, I thought Ritu, uh, Arya as Lila, she had a, a, a greater role. Um, I love her powers too. She can, she can mimic, uh, whoever, uh, somebody else's power is. Um, and I thought she was great as the handler's daughter. Um, and she was super creepy in season two in this one, she has a kid and it's a fake kid. And then you find out it's it's a kid and it's, it's, it's pretty nuts. But again, everybody in the cast was just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a fantastic cast. Uh, and of course, the great uh, Jordan Claire Robbins plays the mom, who in a, is mm-hmm. a robot who gets her eye taken out. Yeah, this like cast is all bangers. They're like, oh, and Robert Sheehan as Klaus, and yeah, it's yeah, a fan. Oh, also, also Justin H. Min as Sparrow as Ben was fantastic. Love to see him play like a different Ben. Bertine Olford as Faye of the Sparrow Academy. Cool. Yeah. Jake Epstein as Alfonso, Genesis Rodriguez as Sloan. I love Sloan this season, like getting to know her. And we also had like Justin Cornwell as Marcus in the first few episodes. And he was good. Right. I just he dies more in the beginning. Right, right. He dies almost immediately, which is, you know, almost all the Sparrow Academy members die. I think it's literally just Sloan and um what's his name? Um just uh and Ben who are left like it, it's it's so funny because like this season I thought we would get to know the Sparrow Academy in general like you know through the season but he but they um yeah they almost go off one by one almost immediately <laughs> what do you think of that yeah I mean it, it gets down to the bottom where you know the it's almost like two storylines first it's the umbrellas versus the sparrows and then they kind of move that together because a bunch of the sparrows you know die and 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 once that happens and then uh the 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 monkey uh changes pogo uh changes um his his whole timeline is different um in the alternate timeline he left the sparrow academy because he didn't like hargreaves 
and became a tattoo artist. And I, you know, again, I don't know how much of that is in the comic book. That's the other thing I wanted to make sure I said about this is, you know, in a show like this, I'm all in on the show. I've seen all three seasons. I love all three seasons. It hasn't made me want to go read the comic book. You know, I honestly, I do want to check out the comic book, but I think I understand what you mean. Like, because this is such a rich story that we're getting presented to ourselves now. I mean, I think I'm always in favor of going back and reading the original material whenever you can, whenever you feel like, but sometimes it's not that accessible, you know, especially when you have so much else going on, other things you want to read or watch. And it's good that like to have the story presented in multiple mediums where you are able to access it. And I love like, again, on a platform as widely available and worldwide as netflix i think that's really great you know what they've been able to do it's also because it's on netflix it all came out at once did you see it in like a matter of days i told you the story about season two i saw it in like a day and a half but um this one this time i kind of spread it out i've kind of gotten back to the old model you know thanks to disney plus and hbo max where i've been seeing shows come out weekly you know like uh, only murders in the building came out weekly and I had to, you know, watch them once a week. Um, same thing with the Marvel shows. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the Netflix model in the last uh, few months. Now, when something comes out on Netflix, I'll usually try to watch it all immediately. And I learned actually recently from Neil Gaiman uh, on Twitter, him talking about this is that, you know, he wants a Sandman season two, but that's not even as amazing and as uh, top performing as it's been, that's not a guarantee because what Netflix also looks at is completion rates, how fast it takes, like, or when viewers start a show, uh, if they're actually going to complete it all or not, because they want to keep it's, it, it makes sense with their model. They want to keep viewers invested to like, see the next episode and the next chapter in the story. And just like, yeah, keep them hooked on the platform, basically, you know, I personally don't like Netflix's model of like binge, binge, binge. Like you gotta like watch everything as soon as you can. I really wish it was more sustainable. I really like the weekly model because I think that's a way of keeping list uh, viewers in week to week and to land like, stay hooked on their platform. So I um really think, but I understand um you know, the rush to want to watch everything on Netflix. You, Cause it's like a book, you know, it's, it's a page turner of a series. Sure. I think that's the uh, umbrella Academy to a T and um, I think it works. I uh, did watch it in a couple of days or about a week um, when I was able to. And I, yeah, I, it's funny because like I say, I don't like the Netflix model, but I totally buy into it with these bingings of their shows that I do just cause I want to know what happens. And it's, um, Sometimes it would be nice to have like a moment to breathe that, but, and not make my personality all weekend, like a single show or something. But, you know, if it works for Netflix, then yeah, you know, it, it worked on me, obviously. So I guess why not? <laughs> One other casting uh, person that I, I found fascinating. Uh, the person who played number six, she's the one that can spit the venom. Um, she was uh, uh, Jamie Hargreaves. Um was Cassie David. Um, she's killed, you know, by, by uh, Harlan after trying to murder uh, the Umbrellas. Remember, they have that that duel and yep. she, she dies in that one. That's Larry David's daughter. Oh, wow. Very cool. <laughs> I saw that when I was doing my research for the podcast. I was like, what? That's bonkers. <laughs> I that, That's crazy. Like, 
you know, I thought she was pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And I gotta say, I love like uh in the first episode when she spits the venom on Diego and makes him think they are actually doing a footloose battle. And the way yeah, the yeah, camera yeah. worked, the way the direction worked, it makes the audience believe that this is actually happening, that they, they are like doing a footloose battle. And it's just like it's kind of like you roll with it because this is Umbrella Academy. They do weird shit all the time and uh you don't know what's gonna happen. And it's um it's done like really, really well. And then like when you snap back, when Diego snaps out of it and the audience snaps out of it and you realize what's happened, you're like, what? And it just, but still, like they did a whole dance routine and they did it fantastically. And I thought that was really great. All right. So to kind of put a bow on season three, the whole idea is for if there is a season four, does it matter that season three was on an alternate timeline and kind of didn't happen? And did the only things that took place was, well, Victor's transition and the Mm -hmm. relationship with Diego and Lila. Oh, we need to talk about like one other critique I do actually have of the season is uh, Lila apparently introducing her and Diego's son. But then this guy, this kid turned out to not be their son. His name is Stan, played by Javon Walton. Yeah, this was weird for me on a number of levels because this is a. And then he dies. I mean, right? when, and then he dies. Yeah, at the end, and they basically don't care. Um, In my favorite is, word like, ever created, the Kugel Blitz. Oh my god, Kugel Blitz! I've had at Passover <laughs> dinner with my family. In the past. <laughs> um, the thing is, like this. Get now, Ritsu Arya. She is obviously a brown Desi South Asian woman. Um, uh, brilliant and, and Die- stunning, stunning and, and amazing. Yeah, and Diego is a brown Mexican guy, and yeah, David Castaneda yeah. is a brown Mexican guy, and apparently they have a white child, and I'm just like. Yeah. what I'm right so and then nobody saw that and no one saw that and said wait a minute that doesn't make any sense exactly and then it turns out oh he's not actually our son i i don't know maybe they thought like their genes were weird enough that they would produce a white child somehow but i don't know like they went along with it just like we at the audience tend to go along with a lot of things on this show and uh yeah, but still, like it turns out, he doesn't really matter at all. Like when he, like when he said he died, like they don't care at all, basically. And it was just a very odd choice. Yeah, you know, I would say this was the oddest choice from the writers this season. Yeah, even when Five sees his older self, it's kind of like anticlimactic. You're kind of like, what? Like mm-hmm. he, he's very ho hum about the whole thing, and it, it just, I, I don't know. It seems like because of the outrageousness it takes some of the drama away because some of the things that happen, you don't see coming and you just, you you don't have time to dwell on that because you just got to move on to the next crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, But you you see, this is the thing, like we were talking about the beginning of the show, this show ultimately isn't really about the apocalyptic events or the the time travel or the plot. Like the plot really is, it is literally in the background, especially during the season as the world is crumbling around them. It's about this this dysfunctional family and them learning to love each other and to be there for each other and to work through their issues together. And it's just really great and heartwarming and lovely and, Again, like seeing how, 
you know, even, you know, in my critiques of um, Allison's writing, the thing is like, she still reconciles with her family, even after all the terrible stuff they've been through together. Like they're still there for each other. They think that she's betrayed them. She's like, I would never do that. Absolutely never. And it's like, she still has that deep love for her family, even though they keep bickering. And yeah, I, I really still love this season. I think it's just Umbrella Academy is such a brilliant show. I need to see, like, leaving on a cliffhanger like this, we need a season four. Is Hargreaves, like, the ruler of the city? Is he the ruler of the world now? Do they need to band together to defeat him? Is he, like, the main villain? Like, what is going on? Please get season four Netflix. We just, at least give us a conclusion to the story. Like, I honestly don't care how long a series is, as long as I have a good conclusion. And I will say on that front, if a series goes on, goes on for too long, it often won't have a good conclusion. So, yeah, I, maybe I fear like that for the Flash. I'm, I'm nervous <laughs> for the Flash. We didn't talk about Lester, Lester Pocket. Um, you know who uh, Victor knew in season two. Um, he, he was a, a babysitter to basically. Um, no, that was like really interesting, but he also like shows up because he has this connection with Victor, you know, like that they had made in the previous seasons. And I thought that was really fascinating, but I do think like some of his writing was a bit contrived as well of like, you know, him, you know, apparently accidentally killing like a bunch of uh, people accidentally and the family being like, we have to kill this guy. And it seems like they just want to get to a resolution. So that I think could have used some tweaking, but maybe like with other things in the show, they need more time to expand upon that. Cause let's be real, like this season packed a lot in, um, maybe like some overall like things needed to be fleshed out. So, but still, like, I think that, uh, the actor Callum Keith Rennie did a really great job. I especially loved his scenes with Elliot Page. I think they were both fantastic and yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, you're all I, in. You're 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 all yeah, in. I'm all in. I'm in. I love I, this show. I'm in. I'm I, I to me it's like a seven or an eight. It's mm-hmm. uh it's not a ten. It, it it it's it's not a ten. I there was too many changes that I didn't understand. I that I, mm-hmm. I still I'm having trouble processing. And uh but I, I, I give them all the credit in the world and if they make a season four, I'll be first up. And you know what? Hell you'll yeah. come back, you'll come back and we'll talk about season four. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll that'll do it. Uh, how can people find you online and tell me about your podcast? Well, thank you so much for having me on again, Seth. You can find me on Twitter at Spider Suarez. I am a co-host of this podcast, my podcast, The Middle Geeks, which is under the Nerds of Color Podcast Network. We are two Middle Eastern North African fans, uh, or Swana fans, just Southwest Asian North African, uh, who talk about everything from a Swana slash Mina perspective. And I have another podcast, which is will be coming back soon, called Into the Spider Cast, where we cover everything across the Spider Verse and talk with creators and um, and fellow Spider Man, Spider People fans, and yeah, yeah, you know, there's Spider Gwen, uh, two uh, several Spider Men, Spider Punk, uh, Spider Girl, <laughs> you know, there's a lot, as you know, a Ghost Spider. But anyway. Um, and yeah, I am a freelance writer for io9. Uh, I've written for Polygon. I um, have written for But Why Though, and I primarily write for the Nerds of Color. So please check out all of my stuff across those sites. That's great. Suara Saleh is uh, with us. He's going to come back on the podcast all too soon. 
uh, and he's part of our, our team here uh, at the Hall of Justice. Thank you for listening. Go see Umbrella Academy, but it is totally worth a watch. That'll do it for this edition of the Hall of Justice. Coming up next episode, it is the mighty 300. We've had a 100. We've had a 200. Now we have a 300. We'll see you then. Believe it or not, I'm walking on it.